already heard that uh, Kathy Brody passed away uh, this last week and just wanted to let you guys know in case you hadn't heard that and also just uh, to be mindful that you could be praying for uh, Ken and for all of the family as they're uh, going through this uh, difficult time. Uh, want to also remind you about prayer walking. We saw that video just earlier. Um, if you go to hillcrestmj.com, you can sign up to do uh, the prayer walking. In fact, why don't you do that right now if you've been meaning to? Can I give you a moment to do that actually right now? Uh, you can go to our website, hillcrestmj.com, and uh, you can go there right now on your mobile device. And actually, if you're following in the, uh, whether YouTube or uh, Facebook, in the chat window, there'll be a link that'll pop up that'll take you kind of right there. Um, now, again, on the website, you can click on uh, the menu, events, and find prayer walks. And there you'll, there you'll find a spot to sign up. Now, you don't have to sign up uh, to prayer walk. But the chances are, if you sign up, you'll be more likely to actually do it, and you'll be able to share the experience uh, with others who are doing the same. So can I encourage you to do that? We would love to know everyone who's kind of participating with us as we do that. And this verse came to mind. I was thinking about um, the prayer walk, and I think sometimes we forget that, well, God put us in a real body, in a real place. And that that's actually how he wanted to work out his plan and bring his kingdom into the world was through us, trapped inside of bodies. And I think sometimes we kind of make spiritual things all about some other thing that is way beyond the physical. And yet God operates so many times um, by using us where we are, where we go to do those kind of things. And this verse came to mind. This was a promise uh, that was uh, reaffirmed to Joshua. They're, again, the people of, uh, of God were about to move into and take ownership of their promised land, and there was this promise that was given to Moses. But in Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. And just a simple idea that sometimes the promise is fulfilled and we, we get to realize it when we actually go there, you know, and you get to set your foot down somewhere and that becomes like you're representing God's kingdom. And so prayer walking might be new for a lot of you, but I just want to encourage you, uh, get out there, be in our community, be mindful of people praying for them. And again, sign up so we know you're, you're participating. That'd be a great thing for you to do. Hopefully you've had the chance to do that now. Okay, we're going to dive into this week's topic. Now, again, we're zipping through believe, uh, and we are looking at what Christians believe, how they think, how they're supposed to act, and again, ultimately, who we're supposed to become as people who follow Jesus. Now, this week's topic is patient. Okay, how many are patients, being patient? How many of you are familiar with um, comedian Jeff Foxworthy? Do you know who this guy is? He had a show for a while, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? It was very funny if you saw any of that. But I think he's most well known for his redneck jokes. Anybody tracking with me yet? Now, you might love it, you might hate it, you might be offended at the idea on behalf of rednecks worldwide. You might think he needs to be canceled or something like that, but I need you to understand how his jokes work in order to get you thinking about our topic for today. So stick with me, okay? So again, I'm not, I'm not trying to do his jokes to make you laugh. I'm trying to help you understand just how they work for the sake of our topic, okay? But here's a few examples. Okay, so he sets up his joke simply by saying, you might be a redneck if... And then he fills in the blanks, okay? So you might be a redneck if you ever cut your grass 
and found a car. You might be a redneck if you own a home that is mobile and five cars that aren't. Okay? You think the stock market has a fence around it. You might be a redneck if your stereo speakers used to belong to the drive-in theater. You might be a redneck if your boat has not left your driveway in 15 years. Okay, one of my favorites. You might be a redneck if you own a homemade fur coat. Okay. All right, now uh, hopefully you're getting the picture for how these jokes work. Again, you don't have to think any of those are funny or laugh along. Again, just I want you to understand how they work. Okay, because we're not trying to um, diagnose you today to find out whether or not you are or are not a redneck. We are here to find out if you are an impatient or a patient person. So we've been looking at different aspects of Christian character. That is how the Holy Spirit transforms us into being more loving people. And one of those aspects is patience, which we heard in the scripture as it was being read here earlier. We'll take a look at that here this morning. But we're going to start ourselves off trying to use a Jeff Foxworthy-like joke. See, are you with me? I'm going to give you a few of my jokes about impatience. And actually, while I'm doing that, you can take a crack at a few of your own. You can open up your chat window from, again, Facebook or YouTube and be ready to comment if some of these uh, jokes are coming to mind. Now, again, if you want to throw in a few redneck ones in there, that's okay, too. Again, but we're trying to look for you might be impatient if jokes, okay? So again, this is a way for us to uh, you know, practice open confession about where we're really at in our lives using jokes, okay? So this is going to be helpful. You've got to know how bad it is so that you can actually start to make progress in the right direction, okay? So you can use your own impatience for inspiration. That's where I've generated my list from. Here we go. I'll share mine, and you share yours in the comments. So I'll try to get us going, and if, you, if a joke comes to mind, I want you to leave it in the comments on Facebook or on YouTube. You're welcome to do that there. Okay, so are you with me? You might be impatient if you've ever asked, are we there yet? I, I figured out that if I asked that question enough, I'd get a new watch Every time that we were on a family vacation traveling, just, just like that. I asked it enough times, I don't even think we were too far out of where we were leaving, and dad pulled over, got some gas, came back out with a watch and said, we'll be there at 8 o'clock. Okay? <laughs> That's it. Um, you might be impatient if you've ever asked, what's taking so long? You might be impatient if you have a slow computer. You might be impatient if you constantly check the status of your upcoming deliveries. Anybody? You order something online and then you just you get a notification. Hey, it's on its way. It's in the mail somewhere. I'm going to go find out where it is. Hang on. On my break, I'm going to run and check. Anybody do that? Just me. Okay. Again, this is inspired by me, <laughs> most of these. Okay. Again, if you've got one, you leave them in the comments. You might be impatient if you think people who arrive late owe you something. Okay. You might be impatient if you've come back later because there was a line. You might be impatient if you have debt. You might be. You might... Low blow, Kurt. Okay. You might be impatient if the first thought you had when the pandemic first hit was, how long is this going to last? 
You might be impatient if you've told your kid, that's it, you've used all your words for the day and we're not even done breakfast. <laughs> you might be impatient if you listen to podcasts or audiobooks on 1.5 times speed. <laughs> right? Okay, you might be impatient if you take a different route because there aren't as many lights. You might be impatient if you say, finally, a lot. Okay, you might be impatient if you thought this part of the sermon would be over by now. <laughs> you might be impatient if you press the eleva- elevator button more than once, even though it's already lit up. Okay, so there are a few of you out there. Okay, you might be impatient if you have felt stuck, trapped nearly, walking behind someone else who's just walking a little bit slower than you'd like to go. You might be impatient if you've honked just to let someone know that the light was green. Okay, you might be impatient if you have said, so is Christmas, when someone said, I'm coming. Maybe they're a little late. You might be impatient if you never let the microwave timer actually get to zero. Right, two seconds left. I've got to get that. I'm sure it's done. Okay, you might be impatient if you have never sauntered and you despise people who do. Okay, you might be impatient if you eat standing up, while walking, or in your car. You might be impatient if you skipped to the last page of a book just to see how it ends. And you might be impatient if you wear slip-on shoes. Okay, there's my list. All right, did you have some that came to mind? You might be impatient if. All right, so are you a patient person or an impatient person? See, I have no doubts in my own mind that I am an impatient person. Uh, In fact, I nearly got lost creating that list because I had so much to draw on from my own life. I had to stop myself and say, "That's, that's enough. Okay, impatience comes very naturally to me. In fact, a few years ago, the church staff, trying to get to know one another, our strengths and weaknesses better in terms of uh, forming a greater and stronger team here, we did a personality test, and it kind of charted you um, between two different tensions. The tension between tasks and people, where do you kind of lean towards in terms of how you operate, and the other tension was between fast and slow. And we found out that I am dialed all the way fast. And I'm somewhere in between kind of tasks and people, but leaning more towards tasks because people slow you down, right? Most impatient people would know that experience. All right. I actually, I once invented a job description or a job interview. I thought, you know what? I could get this done much more quickly than asking all these questions. What I'm going to do is I'm going to arrange to have somebody to take up maybe a, a bus or something or a taxi or whatever, have them dropped off at a particular location across from the coffee you know, um, shop where we were going to do the interview, and I would just sit back and observe to see how they crossed the crosswalk. Okay, anybody have this experience when you're at a crosswalk and somebody, again, a saunterer, kind of kind of cruising along at their kind of their own pace, paying no mind to the other kind of vehicles or other pedestrians that are kind of happening and you thought, boy, they could pick up. Or you've also seen those people, other noble people who when they see that a car is approaching and they're in the crosswalk and they kind of pick it up a little bit and they do a little bit of a jog. Anyway, I thought I could evaluate whether or not I wanted to work with somebody based on how they crossed that crosswalk. Did they walk with purpose 
ultimately, basically, did they do it fast or slow? And I thought, well, I could figure it all out right there. However, that's not a really great way to figure out if somebody's a good employee. They could just be making mistakes extremely quickly or getting lost in what they're doing very quickly. Again, that's not a good evaluation. I may have picked some of this up from my father. He was once telling me about feeling kind of like he maybe didn't know what exactly he was doing on a particular job that he was hired to do. And so he would just confidently walk in various directions, looking as if he knew what he was doing, you know, just being busy going somewhere. Everyone would just assume, I guess he knows what he's doing around here because he was walking around confidently, confidently going nowhere and having no idea what exactly to do. So I'm impatient. Are you? Did anything on our list kind of describe you? And you know what? Even if you might say, actually, I'm a pretty patient person. I think given the right circumstances, you would show your impatience. We just need to find your trigger. Okay, my my trigger is misplaced items in my house. If I have to move something back to where it belongs more than once, I huff and I puff and I nearly blow my house down. Okay, but lucky for us, the Bible has a lot to say about patience. So let's take a look at some of these verses together this morning. And uh, we're going to see a few things. Hopefully we can understand what patience is, how maybe to grow in patience, and I think the rewards of patience as well. So the first passage that Royce read for us this morning, 1 Corinthians 13, a very famous passage, but mostly when we come here, we're thinking about the topic of love. And yet, you can also kind of go the other way, which we're going to do a little bit here this morning. So again, verse 4 says, love is patient. Right out of the gate. (laughs) First thing on this list, love is patient. Which means demonstrating patience is demonstrating love. And demonstrating impatience is not love. See, if you're not patient, you're not demonstrating love. If you're impatient, whatever you're doing, it's not love. Love is patience. Patience is rooted in love. This has been helpful for me in trying to process my own impatience. Understanding that I want to be a loving person, which means that I need to be a more patient person. So, there's a variety of different ways that we could look at what does love look like and how patience applies there. But first, and perhaps the main point I'd like to make is this, that God is patient with us. Psalms 86 verse 15 says this, But you, Lord, are compassionate and a gracious God. You're slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. His promise still stands. Great is his faithfulness. Have you ever made the same mistake twice? I'm sure it's happened to all of us. But we're not just mistakers, are we? The Bible says we're sinners, and that's something that's different. Some of you actually, maybe you feel totally trapped, enslaved to a certain kind of behavior, a certain kind of sin. Maybe you've tried for years to deal with that sin, to get a handle on it, but you still haven't found total freedom from it. We all kind of have, I think, something like that. The Apostle Paul had something perhaps like that, that he talked about his thorn in his flesh, an issue that he had to ongoingly deal with. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And we believe that you can be free from 
that kind of uh, sin. Again, we do a set free around here regularly just so people can learn about having freedom in Christ and processing and moving past some of those habits and hang-ups that we all have. But even many of the honest Christians that I know say that they still struggle. They still face some things over and over again all throughout their Life. It could be any kind of thing. It might be a sexual sin. Perhaps it's a certain way of thinking or believing about themselves. Perhaps it's pride. Perhaps it's believing that they're better than other people. Maybe it's a lower position. They just think they'll never measure up in any circumstance, and they beat themselves up. Again, lots of people have different ways that they struggle and continue to struggle throughout their lifetime. That's just a reality that I think is true for most of us. But... We believe that Christians can actually begin to process that kind of stuff and that God wants us to move through that, to learn more about him in the process. See, many people are actually unwilling to even admit how bad it is. In fact, most people kind of these days want to do away with the whole idea of sin altogether. But here's why confessing your sin can be so powerful and transformative in your life. When you see how sinful you are, And that God still loves you. That he has been and will be patient with you. It begins to change something in you on a deeper level. It's not about just kind of behavior modification, but it begins to transform your heart. See, again, there's dangers in ignoring his love, but there's also dangers in ignoring your sin. You have to be honest about it all and see it as it is. Again, it's put so well in the cross of Jesus, that he comes to the world, he gives his life for us because he loves us, but also because we were sinners and there was a price that needed to be paid. Both of those things tied up in Jesus there on the cross, demonstrating just how bad our sin was, but also how great his love was. So when you see how sinful you are, when you daily realize how broken you are, how much you make mistakes, and sometimes make those same mistakes over and over and over again. When you see those things, and also see his love there for you, him drawing you close, welcoming you in because of the work of Jesus on the cross. When you see his love for you, then again, I begin. you see that transformation happening in your own life. And when you see how patient God has been with you, it helps you to be more patient with others. So don't ignore his love for you. And don't ignore your sin, but see both clearly, honestly, and accurately. And then you'll be able to understand his patience with you, and it will help you to grow in patience for other people. 1 John four nineteen, very simple verse, it says this, We love because he first loved us. And so we can celebrate his love for us, and it actually allows us to be free and empowered to love other people more genuinely. In Romans 12, 9 to 21, again, we've read uh, these verses already here this morning. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. In verse 12, uh, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. 
I won't read all of these verses again for you, but I just also wanted to take a look at the idea. In verse 17, it says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. There's actually an automatic response in our world. The default settings. When there is evil, people respond with evil. It's just kind of how it works. That's the way that this world is. But love creates this great reversal. That when evil is done to us, instead we love a person. We love even our enemies, Jesus teaches us. That we can do that. We can actually find love in him that allows us to love other people. Even our own enemies. And it creates this reversal where you actually you begin to turn someone who is an enemy of yours into a friend or someone even closer that enemies can be transformed. Um, In these uh, later verses, it says, uh, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And then a very peculiar verse, in doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head. Now, I've heard this uh, talked about in a number of different ways Um, But I think given the context, sometimes it's misunderstood. We kind of think that, like, if you're nice to people, you'll kind of stick it to them in the end, right? These heaping coals on their head. That doesn't sound fun. That's that's a terrible thing for them, right? So if you're nice to people, you know, they'll get it in the end. (laughs) It's exactly opposite, I think, of what really this is about. Now, what are these signs, the coals on his head? Um, A number of commentators would maybe say that this is actually... This is a sign of their repentance. That this was kind of a custom. That if somebody was kind of going through repentance of their lifestyle and turning to a different lifestyle, in some cultures they would do this kind of thing where they would take coals and put them on their own head as kind of a sign to people that they were in this um, transition. And it was a sign of humility. And in being kind, in loving your neighbor... It's not like you stick it to your enemy in the end and you really get them, you know, heaping coals on them, hurting them somehow. But actually, your kindness leads them towards a point where they would be ashamed of their own actions and their own behavior. And it would actually lead all the way through to repentance and that there would actually be some kind of evidence that they would actually demonstrate in front of other people with these coals on their head that they were repenting, that they were remorseful, that they were, they were ashamed of how they were living and they were wanting to turn and live differently. In this verse, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's verse 21 in Romans. See, the natural response is to repay evil for evil. That's just default settings. That's the automatic way. But love has this powerful reversal in the dynamics that exist in our natural world because of sin. How many of you like to win? You're a competitive Person, have you ever um, played a board game with somebody that you thought was nice? And they kind of revealed, in fact, that they were a very competitive person. Again, over something very, very simple, but I remember a very mild-mannered uh, kind of a person slamming his hand down on, it was a, one of those plastic, you know, kind of deck chairs, you know, that you kind of assembled every season and you brought out. Anyways, this one was maybe a little bit weathered. Um, But he slammed down his hand so hard on that table that it crumbled into a thousand pieces. And he said, I hate you all, playing Dutch Blitz. (laughs) Right? Maybe you've had this experience where you were playing a game with somebody that you thought was nice, and suddenly they showed their competitive spirit, and they really got in there. 
Are you maybe that kind of a person? You really want to win. If there's a, if there's a competition of any kind, you, you're in there. You want, to, you want to beat somebody else. You can't be the loser. You've got to get in there and do that. Now, see, I think there's kind of two ways that people are competitive. See, usually in a, in a board game of something like that, I'm just kind of happy to be at the table. I don't really want to win because then other people will lose and I'll feel bad for them. And then, but then again, if I don't win, then I also feel bad. So I'm just, I kind of let it all go and I'm just kind of happy to be there. And I'm not really strategizing. I don't really care if I win or whatever it is. But the competition kind of internally for me is more important. I played basketball in high school and in all of the kind of the tryouts and in all of the practices, I looked like I was, you know, a shining star kind of among the rest of my teammates. I worked hard. I outran everybody when we were running a few miles before practice. You know, half the team would kind of skip out the back door and have a cigarette and smoke kind of in preparation for practice, I guess. And while they were all out there kind of relaxing and chatting with one another, I was there just pushing myself hard running laps or sprints or whatever it was, I'd be pushing myself hard, working hard on developing my skill, uh, you know, having an accurate shot and that kind of stuff too. But when game time came, I kind of thought, ah, let's all go out there and have some fun, I guess. And for everybody else, kind of that inner determination to never lose, to always win came and they suddenly came alive and I, my energy levels went way down and I just thought, well, you know, I've worked hard, I've developed this skill and I really like that, but now I I don't kind of care about this part. But that inner motivation to kind of uh, win or beat almost myself, to exceed my own expectations or where I'm at, that motivates me more. But this, this verse here, do not become... Or, or do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I remember as a teenager kind of wrestling in my own faith, and I remember just kind of sitting quietly uh, in my room in this uh, rocking chair. I had a rocking chair in my room. And uh, my parents kind of knew I was kind of in this, you know, just a, a difficult patch for whatever reason, and uh, wrestling in my faith. And they came in, and they kind of talked to me a little bit, and they prayed with me. And I remember expressing that I kind of felt like... Um, uh, Peter did, perhaps, or his disciples did. Uh, we won't read it now, but in, in John chapter 6, you know, Jesus confronts people with this challenging teaching, and many of his disciples kind of all leave. The crowds kind of all disperse, and they're all leaving, and they can't accept his teaching. And he turns to the disciples and, and he you know, says to him, uh, to, to, says to his disciples, you know, are you leaving too? Are you going to stick around here? Are you leaving? And the disciples kind of respond, I think it was Peter who spoke up, and he said, Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I felt, you know, kind of stuck, like, boy, if I had another option, I would maybe take it, but I believe my faith is in Jesus. And in that moment, though, I also started to think, like, there I was in this kind of very low point. And I started to kind of think, I bet this is exactly what the devil wants. He wants me to be kind of stuck in this spot and wrestling and quiet and whatever it was. And I thought, I don't want him to win. And it became, again, because it was this internal process, I began to think, I don't want to be overcome by evil, but I want to overcome evil with good. Now, whether you're a competitive person um, externally with other people, other competitors, or whether you are maybe an internal process or kind of more like myself, I think this is a motivational thing. Do you want the devil to win when it comes to your life? Do you want to be someone who just automatically pays back evil for evil? Or do you want to be that kind of person that wins, that's on the right side, (laughs) that chooses to overcome the evil in our world? And love is that powerful force. When we understand and experience the love of God, 
that we are able to love in our world and overturn evil. That's exciting to me. And so when it comes to patience, I want to win. There's lots of reasons why we might be impatient. First of all, I think, again, patience needs to be rooted in love. But also we need to talk about timing. Patience has a lot to do with timing. In fact, the word patience and the word passion come from the same root word, passion, or suffering. Patience means long-suffering. That's how it's translated in some Bibles. Patience, it says long-suffering. Love is long-suffering. Love is suffering for a long time. See, I think patience is accepting God's timing. Patience has to do with time. Often waiting for something good to arrive or something bad to end. Many times it's both. When it comes down to it, it's usually time that we don't have control over. That's why impatience is almost always directed towards God. We are not in control, but He is. And if we're waiting for something good to arrive and it's not here yet, or we're suffering through something, we believe it's His fault. James 5, uh, verse 7 says this, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. We were talking earlier about all of the different ways throughout this pandemic that we kind of held out hope. Well, maybe by this point, things will be different, and then I'll be okay, and I can hold on until then. But then maybe it wasn't different. And so you charted a new spot, and you said, okay, well, by this time, I'm sure these things will be in place, and I can hold on to then. And you kind of had these micro moments that you looked looked forward to. Anybody else kind of do that? And you're always kind of charting a course. Well, maybe by then, it, it, I can hold on until then. I can hold on until then. But we often set very short-term moments. And perhaps that's because maybe we're impatient people. But here, James says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Does that seem like a long way off to you? Maybe not. Maybe you see that as being a lot closer. But I think sometimes we, that becomes out of view for us. The end, the ultimate end, when the Lord comes fully in his kingdom and power. Be patient until then. <laughs> and he continues, he says, See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand Firm, because the Lord's coming is near. So don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. See, I think patience is not just waiting in a passive state, reading a a magazine in an office somewhere, but rather it is active. See, the farmer works. He tills the ground. He sows the seed. And then when it comes time, he's a part of the harvest. He reaps the rewards of all his effort, but only if he trusts God's 
timing. See, the valuable crop is ruined if the farmer pays no attention to the seasons and the season that he is in, if he isn't mindful of the rain. See, in the waiting, there is purpose, and God is doing something. He's working something out. The farmer tills and sows. He fights back the weeds, but he must wait on God to bring the rain. And when we have done our work and God has done his, then the valuable crop comes in. God's timing is always about waiting for the right moment for harvest. He is after the maximum benefit, the maximum payout, payback. See, James also says that we must stand firm. That's, again, that's not kind of just passively waiting. That's you in an active position. He mentions, again, the prophets. If you just look at the lives of the prophets, there's so many things about their lives that would indicate to us that patience pays off. I don't know if you know this, but being a prophet was almost never a cushy job. You might not know a lot about the prophets, but I was thinking of one in particular, Isaiah. He has this encounter with God. God says, I'd like you to do a job for me, and by the way, you're going to be entirely ineffective. You're going to go to a people, you're going to say my words to them, and they are not going to listen. But because of the encounter that Isaiah had with God, he says, Sign me up. I'll do it. I'll go. Send me. And, uh, and yet there was a payoff, perhaps, even if we, if we look at the book of Isaiah. And certainly lots of uh, people have said that Jesus seems to quote mostly from Isaiah. It was one of his favorite books and one of his favorite prophets. In his lifetime, perhaps, Isaiah didn't see much <laughs> of what he hoped to see as he was sharing the words of God with other people. But there was a reward. There was rain that was falling and there was a crop that was produced. So you could do that. You could consider the prophets, as James encourages us to do. But he also mentions Job. Maybe more people are familiar with that idea, that particular book. It's about suffering. Job goes through all kinds of horrible things. 41 chapters of no good. There's 42 chapters in that particular book. And only in the final verses does it say, actually, Job received much more back than he had lost. There was, because of this rain that God was doing, the growth that happens in the waiting, that he brought about much of uh, the blessing that comes to Job. We can be patient. We can wait until the end, knowing that God is producing something in us and through us that is much, much more. See, he wants to produce something wonderful in your life. And in the lives of everyone around you, he wants it to reach its maximum benefit for your, and potential for your sake, for the sake of others, and for his glory as well. Uh, I worked as a dump truck driver for a while, and when I was living out in Toronto, uh, it was kind of a, you know, you'd call 1-800-JUNK, and, uh, you know, you had an old sofa bed in your basement, and you, no one was, none of your friends were willing to lift it. Uh, you'd call our company, and we would pick up all kinds of different things, and we traveled all over the GTA, and depending on the day, very often we got stuck in kind of the commuter traffic at the end of the day. And I would drive the dump truck from wherever we were working back to the part where we usually parked the truck, and then I would hop into my own personal vehicle and then head home. And I tell you what, because I got paid by the hour, 
sitting in traffic when I was in the dump truck was totally fine with me. But the second that I hopped out and got into my own car, I had road rage. Again, put me back in the dump truck, paid by the hour, totally fine. This is great. I'm relaxing, listening to the radio, and getting paid to sit here. And then in my own car, everyone's in my way. Get out of my way. What's the problem? What's up ahead? And I was, again, upset. <laughs> when it comes to something with, like, patience, I think it's important to remember, again, whose agenda we're on. Again, when I was working for my boss, I was getting paid. There was a reward that was coming, and again, I could be patient. I could go through anything. And yet, again, if I was on my own dime and I was just losing money and losing time, well, I felt gypped. I was upset. It drove me nuts. Um, when you're on God's agenda, when you choose to kind of set aside your own, when you trust Him and His timing, when you're on the job with Him, there is a reward that is coming. And so we can trust him. Okay, let's just kind of quickly sum up where we've been. Patience is rooted in love. If you're struggling with impatience, remember that. Meditate on that. Actually, no, love is patient. You can repeat it. Write it down somewhere. However you want to participate with that and put that deeper and deeper into your own heart. Maybe actually what you need to do right now is write down something. Or maybe even you can share it in the, our chat window if you think of something that's going to be helpful for you and you think it might also be helpful for somebody else. Patience being rooted in love. Is there a way that you can demonstrate love this week in patience? Maybe there's an area you've been struggling in patience. What is it? Maybe you can even begin to pray about how the Lord would help you do that this week. But it's rooted in love. Not only our love for other people, that if I really want to love this person, I'm going to have to be patient with them. But that your patience is rooted in his love and his patience for you. Also just thinking patience and passion. Very similar. In fact, that uh, verse that says, be patient in affliction. It's like, suffer in your suffering. <laughs> have that kind of resolve. But when I think about passion, often the thing that comes to mind for me is the passion of the Christ. Not just the movie, but that whole ordeal people call the passion. His experience of what it was like to go through um, the betrayal of his friends and torture and beating and insults all the way through to the point where he was, Jesus was there hanging on the cross and dying in our place. That's called the passion of the Christ patience and passion. Your patience will grow. Your love will grow again as you understand his love for you. And maybe you've never made a commitment to Jesus. You've never said, yes, I'd like him to be my Lord and Savior. You can do that now. The invitation is always open to you. You can pray a simple prayer. You can say, Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. And thank you, Jesus, that you, that you died on the cross for my sin. And Lord Jesus, would you be Lord in my life? I put my trust in you as my Lord and Savior. And now by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you fill me so that I can live a life that honors you? A simple prayer like that can be your starting place to walking in a relationship with him.
Remember that Jesus died for you. And he died because of your sin. Hold those things together and you will have perspective daily. You'll have regular reminders every time you mess up. Don't think, ah, I did it again. I'm not a good person. I'm not a good person. Think, he is patient with me. He loves me. It's a regular reminder (laughs) that some of us will have daily for the rest of our lives. His love and patience. Patience is accepting God's timing, not ours. We're on his agenda, not on our own. He can work things out in his timing and bring us something much, much better that allows us to care for one another, love one another, have patience, kindness for one another. And ultimately, patience is all about a payoff. See, all of the waiting, all the pain, all the suffering is like the rain to our valuable crop. Now, we started with that Jeff Foxworthy list. You might be impatient if. I want you to consider this week the opposite. As love takes hold in your life, you could maybe have a statement that says, you might be growing in patience if. You might be growing in patience if you meditate daily on God's love and patience with you. You might be growing in patience if your goals and dreams and hopes are lived out with your heart set on his coming return. See, I'm not sure what yours will be, what your, you might be growing in patience if will be. Um, Mine might be, you might be growing in patience if I take the stool that my kids use to wash their hands at the sink and I pick it up and I put it back to where it belongs (laughs) and not kicking the stool across the kitchen, saying, learn how to put it back. There's lots of ways, little tiny things that we can do every day, uh, all throughout our lives, to learn patience. And let it not be this struggle against, oh, I'm an impatient person, I'm an impatient person. When will I be done with impatience? (laughs) But instead, let it always be a reminder of his love, his patience for us. It should fill our hearts with joy. It should fuel our love so that we can really be patient, loving people. Something knowing that God is working something out, that it's time for rain to come, and that there is the reward of whatever he will bring to us in the fullness of his kingdom. Let's pray together as we close. Lord Jesus, You demonstrate so much patience for us to willingly go through what you went, demonstrating your love. Sometimes just when I'm inconvenienced, I lose all perspective, and I'm in huffing and puffing and blowing the house down. But you received those blows. You received those wounds because you had something in mind because for the joy set before you you endured all of that and we know that your joy was set on us so father as we um, consider our own impatience would you help us to be mindful of how loving and patient you are with us help us to demonstrate your love your kindness your patience Um, to the people who are in our lives and beyond. 
And Father, help us to yield a valuable crop. I pray for a harvest of people that we could impact with your love. Help us each one uh, to be patient people, to become a people who are patient. In your name we pray. Amen.